Exact Nature's all-natural CBD-based products are specially formulated to help you with addictive cravings, depression, anxiety, or even improving sleep. Founded by a father and son in recovery, they truly understand the needs of the sober community. Learn more at exactnature.com and as a listener of the Sobriety Diaries, use the code TSD20 to receive 20% off. Exactnature.com. Welcome to the Sobriety Diaries, friends. My name is Nate. I am a grateful recovering alcoholic six years from my last drink. My sobriety is such a huge part of who I am. I decided that I needed to help others find their voice and share their journey too. The Sobriety Diaries is a video podcast where we share powerful stories of recovery told by those who live them. Head on over to thesobrietydiaries.com where you can join our insiders list for exclusive content, early release episodes, and more. Also, please share this podcast with just one person in your life who may still be struggling. You just never know what they may need to hear today. Recovery is possible. Happy Sober Day, friends. Thank you so much for downloading today's episode and spending part of your day with me here on the Sobriety Diaries. Continuing my discussion today with Valentine Darling, podcast host, queer advocate, scholar, and my new friend, we dive in a little more into queer recovery and addiction within the queer community, and also his beautiful friendship and tragic loss of his friend, Eduardo, to whom we are dedicating our episode today. So let's waste no more time and open the diary on page two with Valentine Darling. That really, I don't know, that really opened my eyes a bit. I personally can't have THC because it just triggers my anxiety disorder, which makes me want to drink. That kind of helped me start recognizing that like everyone has their own individual relationship to each individual substance. It's more helpful for me to like kind of look at each individual substance and see like, is this, would this bring me into healing or would this bring me into harming myself? So true. Yeah, I'm the same way. Like I I need to abstain from anything that's sort of mind altering because it does trigger my my anxiety disorder mm-hmm. as well. But I try not to invalidate uh, you know, others who it is helpful for in any mm-hmm. way. So I love that for him. And it's still working for him. Yeah, yeah. It still works for him. He great. Yeah, still uses THC or marijuana every once in a while. It was funny when he first did it though. It was he did he did recognize like the next couple of days he was like he recognized that he wanted it again. Oh yeah. And, and we just had that conversation where it's like, well, if you were to do it often, like it probably wouldn't work as well as the tool to get you out of your depression. And that made sense to him. And so and so I like helped him through that. And now he now he doesn't really struggle with like cravings. I mean, I think he's still recognizes if he wants it and feels like it's not the correct time and then he won't. Uh, You mentioned something earlier about praying away the gay. And I kind of wanted to touch, touch on something that, you know, I relate to for sure being a, a queer individual that grew up in, in small town America and 
didn't really come out until my early 20s. And, you know, at the beginning of my addiction, there was this almost like internalized homophobia where I sort of just hated the fact that I was Mm. gay and Mm. alcohol was, you know, kind of how we talked about earlier. Uh, it enabled me to sort of get past that and and interact with people and, you know, whatever it helped me do at the time. Did you have a, a similar experience or have you ever, you know, experienced that internalized homophobia? Mm. Oh, 100%. And I'm, you know, a trans non-binary person and had to come out to myself multiple times in yeah. my life. And being gay, I mean, first times I drank alcohol, it was when I was a child. Uh, and I was just, you know, le- realizing I was gay in this like super conservative community. And so that like drinking just gave me that relief, that relief, like suddenly I realized how much constant pain I was in Yeah. because when I was given just a little bit of relief from this chemical, it was like, Oh fuck. Like yeah. this is, is this living? Is this what living feels like? Um, and so I 100% relate. I 100% yeah. relate to that. And then when I was in my these different communities, when I was in the rave community, like I said, I had the ecstasy, and I I was I was able to be more of myself in a sense because I mean I was still I feel like we're all fake when we're on substances because yeah. it's not. But at the right. same time, at the same time, there was this this ounce of truth to who I was because I was, it was able to function as me without the debilitating anxiety that came from the trauma, without the debilitating anxiety that came from being uncomfortable in my own skin, because I was gay in this world that, you know, and we're old enough that, you know, back then it was, it was not okay to be gay. It wasn't okay to be gay on TV. It wasn't okay yeah. to be gay anywhere. Right. Um, and so just finding a space where I could, and a, a drug that, like helped me just let go for a bit, you know, and, and same thing with alcohol. I was able to be more, I've always been really reserved sexually and really uncomfortable sexually and alcohol allowed me to, you know, if I got drunk enough, I would have sex with someone, you know? And so it like allowed me to have this life that I thought I wanted or quote unquote wanted. And now I actually really appreciate the anxieties that I have around sex because they keep me safe. Yeah. It's a good segue because I definitely wanted to touch on party and play culture or this Mm. chem sex culture that is so prevalent in the gay community. And, you know, to some degree, I think can almost sabotage uh, recovery or or sobriety for some of our uh, peers in the queer community. What are your What are your thoughts on that? Mm, I so I was at a club not that long ago, and someone just came up and put poppers in my nose. Yeah, and it was like there was no consent whatsoever. <laughs> Come on, yeah, and and I just like I don't know what it was like. But I, instead of like shoving it away, I just was like, okay, yeah, all those fucking poppers. And I hate poppers. They're like, the worst. They're the worst. Yeah. Like it just, well, it just gives me anxiety. Yeah. Like I can't like, and laughing gas is the same way. Like there's just certain things. They just make me feel panic. And it was, yeah, it was just so uncomfortable and very, just a strange experience. And 
and it, it did it did like make me realize like wow like that was very like pushy yeah. and like I you know I it didn't trigger me at all but like I could see how that could be so triggering for someone and to to end up in like if you were to meet up with someone on grinder and suddenly they're yeah. like trying to get you to smoke meth like how that can be to put yourself in, in a really scary and dangerous situation and for some reason I'm really lucky where for the most part when I hook up with people or go on dates it's like I can suss people out for enough sure. <laughs> to know what they're yeah. looking for you know yes I like to talk sort of about this idea that you know life still happens you know mm-hmm. when when we do this work on ourselves and we are you know trying to get past or or work on but life goes on right we still experience hardships and and sadness and these huge life events and you know i know that you've been going through some things and i know we wanted to to dedicate a portion of our our discussion today to um a friend of yours so mm. let's kind of talk about you know, soldiering on and, and, and dealing with life on life's terms to, yeah. to use a cliche. Yeah. I would love to dedicate this episode to Eddie, my dear friend who just passed recently. Um, and this was a recovery friend. This it's, it's so, it's even hard to talk about because this was someone that I love so deeply and someone that I was just getting more and more close to, it was uh, queer in sobriety and in queer in recovery that lived near me. And there's not a lot of those. And when he started struggling, it was so hard to figure out how and what I was available for to be there for him, you know? Yeah. And And so, I mean, really all I could do, I did my best. I showed up when he was in the middle of a relapse and um, just tried to be just really non-judgmental and just really loving. And I'm really glad I did that because that was, you know, the last time I got to be with him. Sometimes I regret that I wasn't just like breaking down his door and trying to like force him into a recovery program or, or, you know, there's, there's so many things that I can wish that I did. And there might be things that I, you know, would do differently in the future. Um, but he, yeah, he was found dead alone in his apartment. And the last text messages that we shared was him asking for a favor. And I was just saying, I don't, I don't really, I'm going through a lot right now. I don't have space for favors. Yeah. And, and that like hurts, but it's also like, I guess this is, this is something that happens when we, you know, this is something that happens in recovery. This is something that happens in the struggle of addiction. I, I really feel like, I mean, I was just fucking destroyed for days after this and weeks even, and I still will just break down and sobs randomly, but there was, the Casey was gone for the week that I found out this happened. And so I was just at home and I was just like doing a lot of like self-work and, and then I was like processing death for the first, I've never had someone close to me die before. Yeah. And it, it was just, it was so hard and so confusing. And 
but then I don't, I don't know. There was this moment when I was like, I don't know, cleaning the dishes. And I just, I recognize that, that there is something that I'm learning from this. And there is ways I want to move forward that are differently for the people in my life, for the people that are struggling in my life. And I don't know. I still wish he didn't die, but I, but that, that there was that something that I was able to get out of this, that there was, that his death wasn't going to be in vain. And I actually had another friend who was relapsing at the exact same time and, you know, calling me up and saying, you know, they're in trigger warning and talk about stuff that relates to like suicide, but, yeah. um, you know, she was like, there's a noose in, hanging in my garage. And I, you know, after what happened with Eddie, like I just drove straight over there. I drove straight over there. I didn't, she had COVID. So I couldn't go in the house. I was like, I just hung outside until the noose was down. And I just, and just talked for a while so that she knew that I'm there for her. I'm there for her in her life. This is a friend from high school. Um, you know, some, she's a person that let me live with her when I was homeless, um, when I, before I was able to get sober and, so, and, and eventually, you know, a couple of weeks later, she was still going through it. And I was like, I got kind of pushy. I yeah. got kind of pushy because I, I hadn't been pushy with Eddie. And, and I was like, I'm going to be a little pushy, not like bad pushy, but it was like, Hey, like you've been going through this for weeks now. And the things that you're trying aren't working. I, I've been trying to get her into recovery programs and different things like that. And none of that was working. I was like, why don't you come over to my house for a couple of days and I'll take care of you while you detox. And, you know, that, and she was really reluctant to that and had a lot of excuses. And I just, I kept offering it and I offered it, you know, somebody had done this for me once when I went on a benders, they literally just came, picked me up and I stayed in their spare room for a couple of days. And I was so fucking grateful for that. So yeah, this was me like kind of paying it forward. Yeah, I, she came over for a couple of days. I like packed all of her work stuff up, set her up with a home office in my house, and nice. Um, she, yeah, so she's in an outpatient program now, and I'm just really glad I was able to help her move through that. But these things happen, and they're hard, and they're confusing, and we're there's nothing we can really do to be prepared for it, and there isn't necessarily the right thing or the wrong thing that we can do, you right. know. But it's like, it's more about what we're available for and also pushing ourselves, pushing ourselves a little bit, maybe to be more available. Cause I was kind of scared of being that available. I was scared of maybe the discomfort of having my friend in my house and, and whatnot. But I was like, you know what? My friend's life matters a lot more than my discomfort. And, and you know, I, and I'd rather push a little bit and be annoying and suggest things multiple times than right. having not suggested them enough. Exactly right. Like you said, for, you know, Eddie's death not to have been in vain, you know, mm-hmm. this, I think, was an opportunity to to assist in a way that perhaps you weren't able to with Eddie. Yeah. And I, it's funny because I don't necessarily have like a belief system around what happens after death. Um, you know, I like the idea of reincarnation because I think it's, it makes the most sense that we get to come back and relearn, like learn the things we didn't learn in our previous life. Um, but also I just, I'm like, sometimes I'm like, Eddie, did you become my guardian angel now? Are you just always, always going to be with me? Did I, did 
did I gain that? Is that what's yeah. happening? And I'm like, oh, maybe that's just a selfish delusional thought, but <laughs> right. it's also kind of precious. Um, it is precious. We can hope that that's what happens, right? Mm-hmm. Well, what would you say to a listener perhaps who is struggling or is relapsing and can't find the strength to to pull themselves out of it? Mm. Do everything. A lot of it is about pushing against your discomfort and like seeking out as much wisdom as you can. So if you're really struggling and you're someone that likes to read books or you at least are someone that could get yourself to read books, like there's a lot of books. There's a lot of books. Get them from your library, get them from a friend, go buy them online. Um, If you are struggling and you're in this, a certain recovery program and you feel like it's not enough, it probably isn't enough. And that's okay. There really is all, all the recovery programs I've been to, they're all flawed. None of, there's no such thing as a complete recovery program. Same, same as there's no complete religion that has the information you need that's going to solve all of your problems. There's like, we are very complex beings. And so I really say, just like, keep seeking. If you're struggling, reach out to people and reach out to any kind of communities or books or resources that you can. There's a lot of different apps online about recovery. There's a lot of different um, communities. Like I can name a couple. There's, you know, there's Recovery Dharma, there's Tempest, there's uh, the TLC program, there is Ignited, there is Life Process Program, there is Smart Recovery, there is, there's just so, there's so much out there. Um, there's Monument is another really good one. And these, these recovery programs hold space for the many different experiences out there. They hold space for people that are trying to be sober from all things. They hold space for people that are trying to be sober from one thing. Um, there's, there's just a lot out there. And so, you know, it's, it's not all about not listening to yourself and only listening to other people. Like, listen to other people, but also like your intuition is trying to speak with to you Yeah, and find ways, find tools that'll help you tap into that. For me, meditation and running and taking baths and journaling, those are all ways that kind of help me maybe move into a place of, of being able to hear my intuition and hear the things that I need. And sometimes I Sometimes I hear things that I think are kind of scary and I'm like, oh, that sound that's doesn't sound like a good idea. But yeah. then I sit with it long enough and yeah. it's like, oh, actually, there's a big change needing to happen. And it's a scary change, but I'm gonna explore it. I love a good bath. So the last like three apartments that I lived in had stand-up showers. So I have mm-hmm. not had a bathtub in like five years. And I just moved and I have a bathtub again and I'm obsessed. Yes. One I of the love a bath. I love it. What do you what do you put in your bath? Mr. Is it Mr. Teal's like mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. bath set? So like I'll choose like a bubble bath and a candle and typically like coffee or tea. And I usually have a book in there. What do I have in there now? I think I have High Achiever, which is like a memoir mm-hmm. by um, Tiffany Jenkins. Okay, I've she's, heard of it. Yeah, yeah, she's she's more on like Facebook side of recovery and, and humor, but mm. she's um, she's got a great story. But that's what I'm reading now. 
so that yeah that's my bath routine love baths i actually yeah. have like i can sometimes have like a really intense like spiritual experience in baths yeah. like i recently i i was doing this thing where i'll i'll get in the bath and I, I I lay in there longer than I want to. Yeah. Um, I definitely like get the urge to get out many times and my heart will start beating. Sometimes I'll get anxiety and I will just like sit through it. And if I sit through it long enough, like I'm able to like, like let the anxiety go away or like look past the anxiety that I'm experiencing. Mm. And then, and then it's almost like I, I call them downloads. It's like, then for a while, like my thoughts that, that come up, it's almost like all of my problems are being solved. It's like, I get to this like optimistic Zen place and, and my mind just starts solving all my problems. I don't know if Downloads. that makes sense. I love yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> That's like, it's just these really clear ideas yes. about the things I'm struggling with. And I'm like thinking about them in this like very like positive, constructive way. And I'm like, Okay. <laughs> I feel the same way because I can't, even when I'm working or like editing something, like I can't sit still for, for probably longer than like 20 or 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. But I find in the bathtub, like if I just sit past it, like just slightly long enough, that like leads and then I can like yes. re-enjoy, you know, enjoy again. But are you like a super hot water bath or like Yes, I as hot it, as I can take it. As hot as I can get it, I yeah. boil some water yeah. and then I like so I get it even hotter. Just nice. like dump, dump some boiling water in there. Yeah. I like I like to get into it very, very slowly. Yeah. Enjoy your bath out there, folks. Yes. I it was the first podcast I rec I recorded like a podcast with my friend before I really fully started recording. Yeah. And it's, I don't think it'll ever be released, but it was literally just us like sharing our bath stories. And... <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so great. There might be a podcast idea there, like in the bathtub. Mm -hmm. You and I might have to start a bathtub podcast. Mm, yes, <laughs> I love it. Well, we were like going to like be in the bath and talk yeah. in the bath, but that didn't really work because there's so much echo in the yeah, bath. Yeah, you're right. I... I think it's really interesting some of the intersections between gay community wisdom um, and wisdom in recovery and addiction mm -hmm. recovery. And one of the things that I've really seen is this idea of self-identification, right? In the gay community and the queer community, we have learned, you know, trial and error, learned to really honor and validate the way that people identify people, the way that people self-identify. So we don't tell people that um, in order to be gay, you have to, in order to be able to identify as gay, you have to look a certain way, be a certain way, say certain things, you know? Um, but instead it's like, if you are gay, if you say that you're gay, you're gay. Right. right. Or if people are come out as non-binary, we're not, you know, I don't tell someone who's non-binary that they need to look like me or act like me. And this is, right. you don't need to wear makeup. You don't need to be androgynous to identify. But as if you look as good as you do, doing it, <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, and same with, with the trans community. Um, there's, there was actually so much, there has been so much pressure for people in the trans community to get surgery, to be allowed to identify as a man 
or a woman. Yes. And that is, it's just not okay. You know, like you don't need to surgically change yourself for just for society, for people to honor how you identify. Uh, If you get surgery, that's great. Like that's wonderful. It can be so gender affirming, but there doesn't need to be this pressure. And so I see, I see the same level of pressure happening in the recovery community because people don't want to honor the way that people self-identify. And I see this specifically with like people wanting to identify as Cali sober or not wanting to identify as an addict or as an alcoholic, but then people are still referring to everybody that struggles with addiction as addicts or alcoholics. So we're like, we're kind of like placing these, they're like pressuring people to take Mm -hmm. on these labels that don't feel right from them. And then we're also, we're also stopping people from sharing their, their true experience because they don't want to feel that judgment. Cause like, I remember when I first came into recovery 10 years ago, I, you know, entered into rehab programs and uh, sober houses and AA meetings. And there were people that were Cali sober, right? There was, but we, but we, but, but the way that we interacted with them is we talked about them behind their back. People would be like, Oh, that person's been coming to this meeting for 20 years, but we all know that she smokes weed at her house. She's not really sober. Yeah. She's not really sober, but she still comes up to these meetings and it's like, but there was no bigger conversation about it other than like catty judgment, you know? And so, it was, yeah. And so like now as Cali so- sobriety, this term um, is becoming more popularized. Uh, pe- I see people reacting in a really big way and, and a very big way against it. And I think yeah. that, I think a part of this, my theory is the reason that people are having this experience against it is because if you're so used to your recovery being based on the validation of other people and on what other people tell you that recovery is and is not, then when this thing comes up, when this, this, this form of recovery comes up called Cali sobriety, you either feel like you have to adapt it for yourself. You have to accept mm. it to in, in, in the sense that it now has to become your recovery or it's invalid. Right. Right. Exactly. Because, because you're so used to it's this external, this external hierarchical, tell me daddy, tell yeah. me what my recovery is. Tell me what recovery yeah. is. And if, and if there's someone saying like, Hey, my recovery can look like this. And it's different from that recovery that, you know, their, their recovery daddy is telling them recovery is, or is not They're They're threatened by it. They don't recognize that recovery is individualized Mm -hmm. because they're like, Oh, well, like I, I tried moderating and it almost killed me. Therefore it's invalid for everybody. Or they're like, Oh, I tried, I smoked weed when I first entered into recovery and I eventually gave it up and right. now I feel I'm fully sober. Cali sobriety. I, I, okay. I love, there's a definition of it that I just really love and I'll read it to you. Yeah. Cali sober means not being addicted to any intoxicant and having a balanced relationship 
with cannabis or psychedelics as an additive to good living, not something that takes away from life or gets you all strung out. It allows for an individual interpretation. I, I love that. I love it. It, it, I think that, and for me, this helps fight against the puritanical idea of recovery and sobriety because who defined what sobriety means? Because sober, the, the word sober, if you look it up in the definition, it does not mean how we use it in recovery programs. Sober just means that you're sober in that moment, mm. or it means that you are sober minded, right? It doesn't mean you are sober from X, Y, and Z 24 7 a day, 24 7. Yeah. It also means like you're not drunk, right? Not drunk. So that means someone can be sober if they've had one alcoholic beverage, they're still sober because they're not right. drunk, but right. according to that one definition. Right. So I think in recovery for me, it's been more important to a like define my own sobriety, figure out what, what matters to me and why I'm, I've entered into sobriety. And for me, it's about, you know, thriving, finding ways that I can thrive without causing myself or others harm. And so anything that like triggers me to cause myself or other people harm, get rid of it, you know? Yeah. Um, or if something brings healing into my life, then I, you know, I, I explore it. But I think it's really important that we learn to honor other people's experiences rather than try to enforce, like, you know, enforce our own definition on other people. And like, and, and make room for those people into our life. Just because I have a friend that smokes weed and they think it's, and it, and it brings it like helps them heal or it helps them. They feel like it adds to their life and they're not doing it in an addictive way. That doesn't mean I'm going to do it because I'm like, I've done the work to be strong in my own recovery and my own sobriety. Yes. And that's what it's about, right? Doing the work on ourselves Mm -hmm. that we are then comfortable. For me, it was almost reintegrating myself into society in like these little spurts where I felt, Mm -hmm. you know, my family still drinks, reintegrating back into, you know, those gatherings. And then it was reintegrating into perhaps going to a bar for a party, but not drinking. So, you know, did I do enough work on myself where Mm -hmm. I felt comfortable being around, you know, those that perhaps still partake? Uh, Yes. You know, now after almost seven years, I would feel comfortable probably doing just about anything. Mm -hmm. And, and I guess I also want to emphasize that I'm not saying that everyone needs to, that you're not failing if you are not able to put yourself in those situations. You're not, you're not failing if you need to not go home for Christmas because it's going to be a trigger. And this is the thing is some years I did it for probably the first three years. Yeah. And I I still don't go back some years, some years, some years is a trigger for me. Some years it's not a trigger for me. And I don't think it's ever this, I don't think it's a linear thing. Right. Um, and there's also, you know, I have a, like I said, I have a friend group that, you know, has, a, there's so much diversity in how people engage with their recovery. And, you know, we're able to set boundaries if we need to set boundaries. But like for, for the most part, we're all able to be together and have this really strong 
recovery community and honor what each other are doing, you know, and that not mean that we need to do it that way. One thing I learned in my exploration of the different recovery communities out there, different recovery programs is in SCA, which is Sex Compulsive Anonymous. I believe it was also created by a group of gay men. Uh, they, how they define sobriety is so, you know, they're specifically talking about sex, but for they use the word sobriety and how they use the word sobriety is to define its specific behaviors that you choose to not engage in. And that's what you're sober from. So they're not trying to be sober from all sexuality all the time. They enter into recovery and they identify the specific things that they were doing that were keeping them back from living the life that they wanted to live. And I feel like all recovery communities can kind of learn from that because that is, that is what we're doing when we enter into recovery. Um, And sometimes that these behaviors might change. There might be behaviors that we reintegrate into our lives. There might be behaviors that we're forever never going to reintegrate in our life. And it doesn't, you're not failing if you have to cut out all drugs from your life forever, but that doesn't necessarily mean that is everyone's experience. That makes so much more sense though, as a definition of sobriety, right? Mm -hmm. It's, it's more open and it's, it's more specific for me. It's more specific. Like I, like when people are like, oh, I'm sober and they just, they mean it to automatically mean this, that they're sober from everything except nicotine and caffeine. Like to me, you're not, you're, you're using this word and you're assuming that everyone uses it the same way. Right. And that's the same way. Like when people use the word alcoholic, they often are meaning it to mean a lot more than just a relationship with alcohol. They have like all these other things that they've tied into it. And so I kind of have a hard time with words that mean too many things at once. Mm. Like the word God often means too many things at once. I'm like, tell Way me what you're, many. <laughs> what are you, what are you actually saying? Valentine, what are some of your goals over the next couple of years that you'd like mm-hmm. to share with us? Mm. Well, I mean, I'm working, still working on my recovery disco, which is just this beautifully slow, <laughs> slow project. Um, I went really worth, fast. Worth the wait, right? Worth the wait. I mean, there's <laughs> six episodes out now. There's a beautiful website, but eventually my goal for it is for the website to have an easy to navigate list of resources, resources for different um, forms of recovery, different types of recovery programs, just different tools that help people heal, um, you know, stuff for trauma and gender and sexuality and food. And I kind of want to have like a hub, like a resource hub for all of those things, because in my early recovery, it took so much fucking work to find the resources that I needed. And now there's so many different recovery programs out there. Like I would love to have a place where they're all listed easily. And I want to have gone into each of these programs so that I can, you know, give little reviews. Yeah. Um, and so that's, that's overall what I'm doing. And I, you know, I want to release more of the podcast and I want to write some blog entries. So that's just, those are my um, goals. And I want to do like a monthly dance party as well for recovery disco. Yes. I love it. Uh, So those are my goals for recovery disco, but 
uh, I'm actually starting school uh, again in April. So I'll be doing a one-year program for my, to get my substance use disorder professional license. Amazing. And then, yeah, and then I want to continue with school after that, but th- that's my next year. I eventually am looking at this PhD program up at UW in Seattle. Um, it's like a research PhD program for psychology. And I just think that'd be so rad, but that's like long-term, you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Well, Valentine also uh, worth the wait. I loved our chat today. Thank (laughs) you so much for your wisdom. And Mm. I think that there are a lot of good resources in here as well for listeners. So thank you for uh, sharing your story with us today. Let's go take a bath. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Nate, thank you so much for having me on. Um, I just, I really appreciate all that you're doing for the community. And I just want to leave everyone with this quote, one of my favorite quotes from my favorite recovery book, Many Roads, One Journey. And the quote is, people may give up addiction out of fear, but they heal out of love. Mm, I love that. You mentioned a few books. I'll leave those in the show notes today as well. Valentine, darling, thank you so much. Let's keep in touch, my friend. Yes, please. Thanks so much for listening today, friends. Hopefully you heard something that resonates with you. And if we help just one person, our job is done. Make sure you check out today's show notes for all of the information on today's episode and how to connect with our guests. You can find all things podcast related and subscribe to our show at thesobrietydiaries.com, youtube.com slash Nate Kelly, where we upload today's video podcast and on Instagram at the sobriety diaries pod. Check back every Wednesday for new episodes with new stories to tell. But until then, try your best not to drink and be good to yourself. Bye friends.